The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome back to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. We're back again, taking another look at all the things that you've probably never noticed in the Harry Potter films. We'll also be looking at the books, but those will be a separate set of videos. Today, we're starting with the final film in the series, The Deathly Hallows, Part 2. As the culmination of a decade of lore, this movie is filled with interesting lore and trivia, and it'll be a blast to look through every scene with you. 10. Harry's Last Day and His Children's First Day The final scene from The Deathly Hallows, Part 2 shows us Harry Potter's life as a father. At Platform 9 and 3 quarters of King's Cross Station, Harry saw the eldest two children off as they began their full semester at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And as Harry's youngest boy boards the train, you might have heard a familiar sound. Just like Harry's final day at Hogwarts, when he boarded the Hogwarts Express for summer break, Potter's middle child, Albus, was sent off with the sounds of John William's orchestral song, leaving Hogwarts. 9. Harry doesn't have the last word. As the main hero of every movie, Harry Potter was used to having the final word in each film. The most famous line, I'm not going home, not really, has been etched into my mind for the past 20 years as one of the most iconic moments in film history. But there have been more than enough memorable quotes throughout the eight movies. Each one, though, was uttered by Harry, except for the last one. When talking to his son, Albus, Harry asks the nervous child if he's ready to board the train to Hogwarts, and his son simply responds, Ready. From that moment, the stories of the Wizarding World focused on the middle Potter child, and his failure to save Cedric Diggory from certain death. 8. The Original Monsters Returned The final film in the Harry Potter series was almost purely focused on the conflict between Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort. But even though Tom Riddle stole so much of the limelight, there were plenty of secondary antagonists and villains to go around. During the Battle of Hogwarts, many of the classic monsters that made the earliest Potter movies so memorable returned for a second go at our heroes. There was a troll, just like the one that was set loose within Hogwarts during Harry's first year. There were also giant spiders, like the ones that filled the Forbidden Forest, where Rubius Hagrid had secretly hid his childhood pet, Aragog the Acromantula, and to round them out, Fenrir Greyback, the werewolf that infected Remus Lupin, showed up as well. If you can remember back to the events of the Prisoner of Azkaban, you'll recall that Harry, Ron, and Hermione faced off against Lupin in werewolf form. 7. Shortest Harry Potter Movie Harry Potter films are famously long. Since they have to cover all four seasons of Harry's life, and the tumultuous school years he endured, there's more than enough plot to go around. In fact, even though I love these films as much as the next Potterhead, I can't wait for the day that they create a show based on the novels. I'd love nothing more than to watch 15 to 20 hours of episodes for each year Harry was enrolled at Hogwarts. If you'd want that too, leave a comment down below. But that's besides the point. It turns out, when it comes to film length, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is the shortest of the bunch, at 2 hours and 10 minutes. That's a good bit shorter than the longest one, The Chamber of Secrets, which ran 2 hours and 41 minutes. 
And Deathly Hallows Part 2 is even shorter than the general average, which was about two and a half hours. 6. Snape doesn't call Harry by his last name. When you think about Professor Severus Snape, what does he call Harry during class? With a grim, sour face, he usually spits out an accusatory Potter whenever he's forced to talk to Harry. But in the Deathly Hallows Part 2, when facing his own demise, Snape allowed his cold exterior to crack, and he revealed the depth of his love for Harry and called him by his first name. Of course, Snape's love for the boy was a bit more complex than the affection Dumbledore or Hagrid bore. Snape's connection to Harry was based on Severus's own devotion to the boy's mother, Lily. 5. Ron's Knight Makes an Appearance Within the Room of Requirement, one of the oldest props from the Harry Potter films popped back up for a final time. While facing off against Malfoy and his goons, Harry, Ron, and Hermione passed by one of the giant chess pieces that they used during the events of the Philosopher's Stone. In that film, the three friends were forced to complete a labyrinth of challenges in order to gain access to a magical rock at the very end, the Philosopher's Stone. One of these challenges, designed in part by Professor McGonagall, was a massive version of Wizard's Chess, but with one small change. In this version, the loser faced deadly consequences. Despite receiving a few bruises, Harry and his friends defeated the game, and eventually, faced off against Voldemort in the labyrinth's inner chamber. And in the Deathly Hallows Part 2, the chess piece that Ron had chosen, the knight, can be seen as the hero's retreat from a wall of fiendfire. 4. Those coins were real At one point in the film, Harry, Ron, and Hermione snuck into Gringotts Bank to seek out a horcrux in Bellatrix Lestrange's vault. Among all the golden candelabras and giant gem-laden goblets, there is one particular prop that was the most labor-intensive to produce, Golden Galleons. While simple CGI might have been enough to do the trick, the filmmakers behind The Deathly Hallows Part 2 opted to use practical effects instead. This meant that they created 200,000 gold coins, and that was just for Lestrange's vault. 3. Bellatrix's Symbolism This one's a bit subtler than most, but if you have a chance to watch the film again, pay attention to where Bellatrix Lestrange stands. To demonstrate her importance to Lord Voldemort, the witch is always depicted at his right side, as in his right-hand man, or woman in this case. Since Bellatrix was one of Voldemort's most loyal Death Eaters, this makes sense. But considering the future of the Wizarding World, Bellatrix's position at his right-hand side takes another meaning. Unknown to anyone else, the pair actually had a secret, romantic relationship, at least according to the Cursed Child. And Bellatrix actually gave birth to Voldemort's only child, a powerful witch named Delphine. Perhaps Voldemort was aware of her role, and it was far greater than being his right-hand woman. As Voldemort saw himself as a king of sorts, perhaps he considered Bellatrix his queen. 2. Hermione Flies on a Broom It might be strange to ask, but have you ever seen Hermione fly on a broom? Throughout the films, we've had a chance to see Harry's harrowing adventures around the Quidditch pitch, and even saw the Order of the Phoenix take to flight over the cityscape of London. But what about Hermione? Well, it turns out, with so little time and so much story to tell, previous films never actually got around to showing Hermione flying a broomstick. It wasn't until The Deathly Hallows Part 2 that Hermione actually soared through the sky. 
Number 1. Tom Felton's real girlfriend played his wife In the final scene from the Deathly Hallows Part 2, we took a several year jump into the future and finally had a chance to see how the boy who lived spent the rest of his life. Thankfully, Harry seemed to have earned all the sacrifices that his friends and mentors made. Along with Ginny Weasley, he'd raised a wonderful family with three gifted children. But it wasn't just Harry's future we saw. Among the many faces at King's Cross Station, one of Potter's strangest allies appeared as well. Draco Malfoy, now a father, brought his son to the station to see him off to school. Draco was joined by his wife, Astoria Malfoy. We didn't know it at the time, but in the years to come, Astoria's life would take a tragic turn. A blood curse would end her life, leaving her children without a mother and adding even more tragedy to Draco's turbulent life. But if you paid close attention to actor Tom Felton's personal life, then you might have known that Astoria wasn't portrayed by any old actress. No, Felton's real girlfriend at the time, a stunt coordinator named Jade Olivia, assumed the role. And there you have it, 10 things you might have missed from the Deathly Hallows Part 2. If you have any facts or tidbits of your own, make sure you share them in the comments below. Stay tuned for more videos like this from the other films, as well as a series focusing on things you missed in the books. If you enjoy the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember, there is plenty to be learned even from a bad teacher. What not to do, how not to be.